This morning, I am guessing, I'm not guessing, I know for a fact there are two different types of people in this room. Two different types of people in this room. Um, and it's going to be illustrated on the screen here with the image that I have here. And it's how we drive our car. It's how we drive our car. You see, there's one group of people in this room that once the gas gauge gets to about a quarter to a third full, you're like, yep, it's time to go to the gas station. Time to go to the gas station. Time to fill up, right? And then there's the rest of you that the signal to fill up your car is the light that comes on. You're just like, yeah, you know what? I, I'm just, I'm totally fine. I can keep going. Or the phrase that gets us is, I know my car. <laughs> I know my car. And so I can keep pushing it. And there was a time, an occasion, I was taking a family member uh, back to Logan. And I did not thoroughly check my fuel before I left. And after a smooth and straightforward drop off, I hit the Ted Williams tunnel at 5 p.m. on a weekday. <laughs> and this is when my gas light flashes up on my dashboard. And I don't know what overcame me in this moment. I really don't. But my heart of hearts was like, yeah, I can make it to Brockton, no problem. Shockingly, I did. And we're, we're, we're like bumper to bumper, stop and go. And so I would never suggest like texting or anything like that while you're driving. Like we're, we're not going anywhere. So I post a picture of it. I'm like, all right, we're going to see how this goes. And I had people reaching out going, Dan, are you stranded? Do we need to come pick you up? Like this is not good. But I just refused to get off the highway because I didn't, it's going to take an extra half hour to get off, to find a gas station, get back on. And I didn't want to deal with it. I just wanted to get home. And so there's these two types of people here. The first one is some of you take extra precautions to care for your car to ensure arriving at a destination safely and timely and reliably. I remember growing up in a blizzardy tundra of Minnesota, and my parents actually on occasion would get frustrated with me, on occasion, more than, more than a couple times, because I would drain the tank lower than a quarter. And it wasn't because there wasn't enough to get to the gas station, but it was because living in the country in Minnesota in sub, sub, sub zero temperatures in the winter, it's actually very dangerous if you were to get stranded and you were to have a low amount of fuel. You couldn't keep your car running. You couldn't have the heat on. And so it wasn't so much they were mad, Dan, like be more responsible, fill it up quicker. They were actually concerned for my health. They wanted me to be safe. And then there's some of you. I know my car. I know my, I've been here before. This isn't my first rodeo dancing with this light. Or I know my life. I know what I can handle. I know my breaking point, and I'm not quite there yet. I'm close. Maybe close, our emotional dashboard lights may be flashing like an over-decorated pine tree on Christmas, but we insist on tying ourselves that we can push through. Maybe that resonates with you. This morning, the same idea applies to our spiritual life. Last week, our pastor Sean on the screens, we had a video of him explaining the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit described in Scripture as our helper 
being filled with the Spirit when we give our lives to Jesus. That's the importance of the Holy Spirit and the role he plays in your life and my life. And today, we're going to talk through what it looks like to live in confidence, knowing that we walk with the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Living in confidence. Living in boldness. But here's the deal. Life's tough. Maybe for someone in this room, you're emotionally or spiritually, like you're, you're, you're on empty. Your light's been flashing. We can't do this alone, and we need God's help. So I'm just going to quick pray for us that he helps us understand this, that we get, that we receive his help and assurance this morning. God, we just, we recognize we can't, we can't live our lives on our own without you. We can't. Maybe for some people we're on empty, desperately needing to be filled. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you just fill the hearts in this room and fill this place that we lean and we seek you with our whole hearts today, that you speak to us and that you encourage us and that we see you working in our lives and that we would be encouraged to live with boldness the lives that you have. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So before we get into our passage today, our passage is in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles or your Bibles app, Bible apps, there's Bibles in the back of the seats. There's a table of contents at the very front. Acts chapter 3 is our passage today. But before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory of what's happened. So before Acts chapter 3, Jesus has come, he's lived his life, he's died, and he's resurrected again. And the disciples have seen all of this. And then he gives them the great commission. He's like, okay, you've, you've seen my life. You've seen the good news. You've experienced this good news for yourself. Now go, go and make disciples of all the nations. Go tell more people about this good news. And then Jesus goes to heaven. And as soon as he do that, does that, something switches. Something switches. They all just go hang out in a room. You see, they, they went from being all into Jesus. And then as soon as Jesus was gone, they're like, well, what do we do now? What do we do now? We, they kind of felt lost spiritually. And maybe you've been there. We were like, wait, I believe in God, but what is he doing? I don't really know what's going on. It doesn't make sense. I thought God was going to be here. I thought he was going to do something a specific way, and he didn't show up. Now what? So they all met in a room, and they started praying and worshiping together. And it says when they did, it says the Holy Spirit, as Pastor Sean talked about last week, the Holy Spirit came in and filled the room and filled the actual people. And after this, they went out with boldness and courage and they began preaching and they started speaking in languages that they didn't even know. And other people heard and they're like, how, do they, how are they doing this? And Peter gets up there and he goes, here's how we're doing this. We didn't do anything. We're not very special. But there's a message that God desperately wants you to hear and this is how community is to you hearing it. He's helping us communicate it to you. We don't even know how. So that is what's happened. Corey Tenboom says this. Corey Tenboom says this. She says, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. 
It's not work. It's not a hassle. It's, it's not a job. It's not, it's not even us trying. That's what, we're ha- that's what was happening to the disciples and Peter and John. And in the Old Testament, we see that God is so desperately committed to his presence with his people that he instructs them to build a tent of sorts, which was the tabernacle. And he goes, I want there to be a place in the middle of my, in the middle of your camp where rich and poor and everyone can come and they can be in my presence. And it says that his spirit came and filled the tabernacle. He wanted, he's, since the very beginning of scripture, we have seen God want to be in the middle of his people, in, present in their lives. And when the Holy Spirit came, he goes, I don't want you just going to a tabernacle. Can you imagine if you and I had to like traverse to Israel to a temple just to get into the presence of God? We couldn't do it. We, most of us couldn't afford it. It would be too difficult. It'd be too much time like, it would be too far away. So God goes, no, I, I want my presence to be in the middle of my people, in, the, in their hearts and in their minds. And so he sends the Holy Spirit to be the helper. This is what has happened. The Holy Spirit empowered the apostles to do things they would not normally do. They witnessed Jesus to do incredible things. And now his very presence was empowering them to continue the work of of Jesus. And I want to ask this question before we read the passage for today of what God is doing in the lives of Peter and John. And it's this question, do we desire God's presence or do we like the idea of being close to God? Because I think most of us like the idea of being close to God. We want to feel good about it. We want that we want that warm cozy, ah, God's my friend when we actually invite his presence into our lives, oh, it changes things, as we're going to see in a second here. But it might, get a little, it might put us in a place that's a little uncomfortable. It might challenge us to do things we normally wouldn't do. It might ask us to live in a way that we normally wouldn't live. So this is the question. Do we desire God's presence, or do we just like the idea of being close to him? Like, God, I want you to be this close, but I'm going to keep you far enough away that I can live how I want and ignore the prompting that you're putting on my heart. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part the 3 o'clock prayer service. And as they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, praising God, he went into the temple with them. The story doesn't end there, but we're going to pause for a moment because we see in this story that God wants something better that Jesus wants something better for you. 
As soon as they get there, I want you to understand um, a little bit of the situation and culturally here. Like giving alms or, or giving to the poor, was a, that was a religious practice. That was something that was expected of everyone coming to the temple. And so this, this guy, he's going to be smart about this. He didn't go to any gate. He went to the one leading up into the temple. Like, okay, let's see how many convicted hearts to give to the poor I can get as they come to worship and pray. And so he's very, he's very strategic on what gate he's going to stand next to. And so he's standing there, or not standing, because he can't. So he's sitting there, but he couldn't get there on his own. He would have had a friend or two or a family member um, carry him on a mat or a board, and, and, they would, and they would carry him throughout the city and plop him down there for the day, and then they would leave and go, here, here's what you can do. Since you can't help out with the family business, since you can't go start your own business, since you can't do any more education, you're basically worth nothing to us or society. We want you to sit next to this gate. We want you to ask for money. We'll come get you at the end of the day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every day, this would have been the routine. They would have come picked him up and they would have said, hey, how much did you get for the family today? This was his only role in life. Some of you have been told that you can only do so much. That's what you've been told, and that's the lie that you've believed, that you are not worthy of being sons and daughters of the living God. Or, or maybe there's a history in your life that tells you that somehow spirit, you are spiritually limited or unqualified. Like you're not good enough. It could never be you. It could maybe be someone else, but it could never be you. What Jesus offers this lame man is something better than money. The lame man wanted to be supported in the condition that he was in. He's like, hey, this is how I want you to make my life a little bit better. I want you to give me a lot of money. That, that's all he saw. That was his whole life. And what he wanted from, the, from Peter and John, what he wanted from God was for, was for them to just come in and support him in his condition. But God had something better. Jesus wanted to completely reverse this man's condition. He didn't want to just give him more money. He didn't want to just support this man's family a little bit more. He wanted to give him a new opportunity and new life. And this is what he offers for you and for me. Could Jesus want the same exact thing for you? He doesn't want to just support you in your, in your decisions or support you in the life you want to make, but he wants to come in and go, hey, there is something better here. I have something better for you. If you want to completely reverse it, could he want the same thing for you? Acts 3, 19 through 20. See, what happened now is that they would go in and they started telling the people what happened. They did, God did this miracle. This man's not walking. His life's changed. Peter and John are like, hey, we didn't do this. This is, this is a God. Like, you think we can just do this? No. This is a God, God thing. And so they start telling the good news of Jesus. They say this, Acts 3, 19 through 20. It says, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. How many of you here would like a time of refreshment? 
We don't get refreshed just staying in our same place. And I know the season that we're in because summer's around the corner. And I know if you're anything like me, you approach summer and you're like, oh, okay, this summer I'm going to be refreshed. This summer I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I have my calendar cleared X amount of days. This summer I'm not going to do too much. And then in the course of a matter of like two weeks, I was just telling Julie, our first impressions director, I'm like, I tried so hard to keep it full and then it just a lot of things outside of my control. It's like, oh, this wedding on this date, and then this event on this date, and, and this is what, we, all, we always have a bunch of stuff for the students, and I'm like, before I know it, it's full. I know, I know you guys don't know what that's like. Time of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And so he comes in, and he just starts telling his story. This lame man starts telling his story. And there is something unique and special about individuals just telling the story of what God has done in their lives. In fact, I just saw this a couple of weeks ago. I took a bunch of students to Guatemala, 10 high school students to Guatemala. And, and, and we go to, it's a service project, so we're, do, we're, doing, we're doing a bunch of different um, work stuff and mission stuff and, and projects for different ministries and working with kids and all this different stuff. One night I said, hey guys, the schedule's clear. We're just hanging out, just us tonight. And, and we get a group of a couple leaders and the students all in a big circle. And I'm like, this is what we're going to do tonight. I want each of you guys to share your testimony, your story. What has God done in your life? Maybe it started 10 years ago. Maybe it started two years ago. Maybe it started three months ago. What has God done in your life? And almost every one of the students kind of hesitantly stepped up and they go, well, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I have a special story, but this is what God has done. And as they start to share, I see student after student be impacted by each other's stories just because they're sharing what God has done in their life. And they're like, oh, that's really cool. This is what God's done in my life. They started sharing their testimonies and the stories. I think of the woman at the well that Jesus interacts with. This, this woman had been with multiple men, probably mistreated and abused and shoved off to the side. And so she's by herself at this well. No one else is going to affiliate with her. And Jesus comes up to her and he goes, hey, hey you know what it's like to like drink a really, really cool glass of water on a hot day? This is the life that I have, if you'd be willing to take it. He says, drink of this water, drink of my, take of this message, believe in me, and you will never thirst again. You will never be wanting again. You will never be looking for that next step in your career again. You will never be looking for a fulfillment in a relationship again. Take this, and she went and she shared her story. Once you experience Jesus and you are filled with the Spirit, your life is marked with something that is different and quite frank, frankly, better than anything this world has to offer. Just nothing compares. It's just different. But it's ourselves that get in the way of going, you know what, I'm not going to step into this. God, I'm going to keep you at a hand's length away. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. There is something about Jesus and God and the Spirit that when we welcome him and he is present in our lives, things change. 
things change. And here's our hinge verse for today. It's Acts 4.13. What happened at this point is they've come in, they've started sharing, and they've pissed off the, the religious people, gotten everyone up in cahoots about things, and they actually imprisoned them for one night. And they, they bring them out, and they're just grilling them with questions, grilling them with questions over and over and over again. But this is what happens. Acts 4, verse 13. It says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. Peter and John had just done this miracle. They go on to plant churches across the Mediterranean. They go on to disciple and, and, and be the foundation for the church as we know it, spreading and being taught all over the world. They were faithful with that message. And what were the two things that stood out about their lives? Two things. One, they were ordinary. There was nothing special. They were from West Bridgewater. They were from Taunton. They were a construction worker. They were a barista. They were just ordinary people. But what's the second thing? You could not help but see in their lives that they had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. And as soon as they had, it changed everything. Allowing God to work in your life prompts boldness. The commentator Pearson says this is, no one, no one attribute is more needful today for Christ's witness than Holy Spirit boldness due to Holy Spirit fullness. See what happens, they, they've, invited the, they've invited the Holy Spirit and he's come in and he starts to do work in their lives that they can't really explain anymore. And maybe you felt that before. You're like, man, why am I, I, I I'm joyful. My situation doesn't tell me that. But I'm leaning into God. I've been spending time with him. I've got plugged into a life group. I'm doing a Bible study. And man, I am joyful. My life doesn't tell me that, but man, God is here right now. Living like God is with you leads to boldness, but it also may lead to disruption. Disruption in our lives, in our schedules, and what we want to do. Confidence that God is with us may prompt us to do things we may not want to do. It's the difference between living and believing. Are we taking steps believing and knowing God is going to be with us every step of the way? Are we going into conversations believing God is going to be with, with us every step of the way? And so here's what some of you need to hear this morning. If you believe in Jesus, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to ask you to start sharing your story boldly with those around you. Share your story. Share your ordinary story that God has made extraordinary. Don't, don't take them somewhere else to hear someone else's story. They need to hear your story on how God has impacted you on why you live your life your way on maybe, maybe how you experience joy or purpose or forgiveness or grace because of what God has done in your life. 
They don't need to hear that from anyone else. They need to hear that. Of course, they're wel- everyone's welcome here. You guys know that. But more importantly, they need to hear from you. They need to hear what God has done in your life. Peter and John are actually imprisoned that night, and they're questioned and they're grilled. And the conclusion the next day was they're ordinary people who had been with Jesus. And here's a question for thought that I kind of wrestled with. Honestly, I didn't really want to put it in here because that means I have to ask it for myself too. And here it is. Maybe think about this on the car ride this week, on your commute. Is there evidence in your life to convict you of being a follower of Jesus or living on mission? Like if someone looks at your life, it's, it's pretty easy. I, I, can be, I can be an ordinary person, no problem. I can, I can just be, do my ordinary thing. Go to work, pay my rent, go on a hike. I can be an ordinary person. But to, have, to live a life that's known for being with Jesus, oh, that's tough. So if someone were to look at your life, is there evidence in your life to convict you of being a follower of Jesus? Or is there, have we been ignoring it? Have we been pushing him to the side? Have we been living our lives spiritually drained? Our spiritual gas tanks just totally complete, depleted. Is that how you've been living your life? And, and maybe you have been. And the good news is like, Jesus offers refreshment, like he offers that filling. When we feel expired, when we feel like there's nothing else that we can do or give or nowhere else that we could possibly look for healing or purpose or hope, Jesus goes, hey, let me be that refreshment. Let me be that for you. So here's what we're going to do. What do we do about this? It's a great story, Dan. Peter and John, great people, ordinary people, marked with Jesus, healed, healed this guy. This guy obviously has a really, really cool testimony. I don't have that testimony. I wasn't healed of being lame and walking and singing. I, I, that's, not, that's not me. So what do we do about this? Us today. How do we receive confidence? If you're a follower of Jesus, how do you receive confidence? You're like, okay, I know Jesus. I've been coming to church for a while, maybe baptized a while ago, whatever it is, and I believe, I believe, I believe. But I just, I can't do it. Like, I don't have that confidence. How do we receive confidence? Number one, experience. Experience. You have to remember that Peter and John had already lived through many ups and downs in following Jesus. It wasn't just all like miracles and cool stuff. They'd been crushed and devastated weeks prior that their Savior and God, that, they, that they, they went all in on Jesus. They were all in. They're like, yep, this guy's our Savior. He's going to conquer the Romans. He's going to usher in a new kingdom. He's taking over. We are all in. We've given up our jobs. We've given up our families. We are following this guy. The same guy they went all in on was publicly humiliated and shamed and then lay lifeless as a commemorated criminal. The whole world is now cascading and spiraling in places of extreme doubt and disappointment. You see, Peter and John, they had had their ups and downs of following Jesus. They're ordinary people with ordinary hearts and minds, just like you and me. 
But what they'd seen was they'd seen God come through and they'd seen a resurrection and they'd seen new life and hope and purpose than their current situation. They go, that is worth following. And they probably had this question, did we believe the right thing? Did we believe the right person? Maybe you've thought that before. Like, am I, do I believe the right religion, the right thing? And if you ask that question, I want to give you all permission to keep asking it. Do, do I believe the right thing? Is this, is this the right God? And here's why I say keep asking it. Keep asking it. Here's why I say you can do that. Because I am 100% confident that God will prove himself to you in a way that only he can. I can't. So if you're having doubts, if you're having questions, it's totally fine. Keep asking them. Is this the right thing? The disciples asked this question. Did we, did we go all in on the right person because he just died? Did we just give up everything for the right person? Because this is a mess. I'm not seeing it. I'm not feeling it. Number one, experience. Number two is knowing God's word. They knew God's word. They knew God's word. They needed to know it. They came in teaching it. They'd, they'd seen what Jesus has done. So one, they had this experience, but two, there's, there's the, the, the lifeblood of Jesus, like the, the whole purpose, his word revealed to us. You want to know what to do? You want to know what it looks like? Lean into God's word, know it, read it, study it, spend time here, immerse yourself in it. You want to know how God can be good in hard times? Read his word. You want to know how he can forgive your situation? Read his word. He will reveal himself to you, I have no doubt. God's word and experience. Uh, I remember a, a time that might illustrate this really well. Um, every spring, I'm a tennis coach for East Bridgewater High. I coach high school tennis over at East Bridgewater. And I, uh, one, of my, one of my players, really, really good player. Um, she's our number one player. But that means she plays the best player of every other town that she plays whenever, whenever we have matches. And um, one match, she was playing one of her best matches I've ever seen her play. But she, she's playing a really good person, and she loses the first set. She comes back, and she wins the second set. And then she gets down in the third. It's the best two out of three. So if she loses this one, she loses the whole match. And if she wins it, she wins. And she gets down two to five, and she's really, she's, this is, and I go over to her. And I said, you're playing like your opponent's already won. And you're a play your opponent's playing like they have already won. Like you've already proven that you are capable of beating this person. Go play like it. Go win the match. I didn't all of a sudden give her better tennis skills. I didn't all of a sudden improve her serve and forehand. I just had to remind her what was already there. And one game at a time, she battled back. and She won the third set and walked off victoriously. I forgot to share that with the first service. One of somebody, I, I forgot to mention that she won the match. So I want to make sure I told you guys that. 
You're welcome. I'm, I'm a decent coach. But what's the point? The point is being reminded of what's already there. The Holy Spirit, God is, God is already there. He's already working. He's already there. So live in that experience and that knowing God's word, knowing that he is there. And lastly, number three, how do we receive confidence? It's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit indwells us. It fills us. It makes its home in us. Just like God's presence was in the tabernacle in the Old Testament, God's presence is now in our lives, in our hearts. And so if you ever wonder, why am I starting to feel this way? Why do I feel drawn to this God? Why, why do I have these questions? Why do I feel like, I just feel like something is going on in my life. That is the Holy Spirit prompting and tugging you and pulling you closer to him of going, you know what? Normally I would have walked by this person every other day of the week, but today I don't know what it is, I feel like I need to talk to him. That is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Last story. Um, I, was, I spent a, a week in London with some pastors and leaders from around the world, and uh, we were just seeking God together and learning and growing and encouraging each other. And one of the guest, one of the guest speakers uh, was a woman who's from North Korea. And they said, when they introduced her, like, we're giving her a fake name because we can't even give her real name for her protection. She has fled North Korea multiple times and she's finally made it out safely. So we're going to protect her. We don't, um, there'd be spies that would maybe report her and basically deport her back to North Korea. We don't want that to happen. And so they introduce her and they, they bring her out and, and her story started as uh, she just wanted to get out of North Korea for her safety um, and she's, she's a follower of Jesus, but very, very private. Very, no, she, no one knew. No one knew that she was a believer. And she tried to flee the country, and she got into China, and then she was caught. And so they deported her back, and she was in this prison camp. And while she's in this prison camp, the Holy Spirit starts to work in her heart. And she got so convicted. She's like, I knew I needed to share Jesus with, my, with the other people there. It took her a year. It took her one year to come up with that boldness because if anyone found out and reported her, she would be executed publicly as a spectacle. She finally had the courage and she started talking to a couple of ladies. She planted a church in the bathroom of the prison camp because that was the only place the guards would not go because of the smell. And once a day, her and a couple other ladies would come into this and they would worship and they would read. They'd memorize scripture for five minutes and one of them would watch at the door. Basically, okay, what's the amount of time that we can do our business and like not be caught? Once a day, that's what they would do. That was their church following through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit and God's presence in our lives may, may prompt us to do things that we normally would not do. But I'll tell you this, there was like 4,000 people in this, in this uh, auditorium, and every one of us are like, we're like weeping, going, man, I wish I had that kind of faith. 
We've got pastors and leaders, you know, of these big churches everywhere, just weeping, going, I wish I had faith like her. Her stepping out in boldness, in faith. So for those of you that follow Jesus, would you consider living your life in boldness? Of sharing your testimony, sharing your story, being faithful with what God has given you, stepping out into the uncomfortable, doing something you wouldn't normally do, would you consider that today as, as we lean on the Holy Spirit to not just, not just like be present, but to be the leader in this, to submit to him? And then for some of you, some of you, maybe you've been running on spiritual fumes and you just don't have full promise or assurance. Like you are just wiped out. You are drained. Your spirit, you're just spiritually empty. You're done. You've been seeking, you've been trying, you've been doing your best to live your life. You've been do doing your best to live a good life and you just keep coming up short and you're like, I have nothing left. Do, are we treating our relationship with God worse than we treat our cars? You see, our cars, I use a funny illustration of the gas tank. But we would never, well, only on rare occasions would we actually, I, 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 let it, I let the light come on, but I wouldn't actually run out of gas. I will fill it up. I'll get an oil change. I'll get some maintenance on. I'll even give it a wash occasionally. I know the upkeep that I need to do for my car for it to keep running. It's the same true for our lives with Jesus, but we just ignore it. We see the light going off. We're like, no, I, I can keep doing this. I can keep doing this. I can keep doing this. And we go, we go, we go until we are eventually depleted and broken down on the side of the highway. And some of you are just empty. You're stranded with no hope of being refilled. You've, you've just lived your life on fumes long enough and you continue to ignore the only person who can actually help heal and mend your life to refill you with assurance, to bring release. Some of you have been told you can only do so much, that you are not worthy of being sons and daughters. Maybe your history has told you that same thing, that you are limited. Friends, as we close today, regardless of where you're at there, I want to remind you of that verse that Jesus offers us refreshment. That when we invite his spirit into our lives, it fills us and it changes things. And maybe you don't feel like, you're like, you know what, I've tried and it just hasn't happened. Well, this is the place to receive it. And for those of you that feel unqualified, I'm going to read one last, one last passage. And then we'll be done. Hebrews 11, 32 through 40. And Hebrews 11 is all about just all the patriarchs and famous people, the famous people of faith, the Abrahams, the Davids, like they just fill the Old Testament. It's all about these famous people that have just lived their life committed to God. And the author says this, he says, how much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon and Barak and Samson, Jephthah, 
David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped the death and edge of the sword. Man, do I want that kind of faith. In the middle of 34 there, their weakness was turned to strength. They were ordinary people. Ordinary people who chose to follow and lean into God and look what they did. They became strong in battle, put whole armies to flight. Women received back their loved ones again from dead, but others were tortured, refused to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prison. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. Guys, I don't know if you realize this, there is a church globally right now that is doing these things. And they still lean into Jesus and the Holy Spirit in their lives because there is something better there that he offers, something better than their current situations, something better than your current situation. All these people, 39, all these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised, for God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. God's plan includes you, your story, even if you don't think if it's good enough. So if you're on empty and you're on fumes, I'm going to ask you today that you surrender and that you walk in that refreshment this morning. Would you surrender to Jesus? Like, would you actually surrender? Would you say, God, I've, I've, I've been trying. I still have a lot of questions. I don't have all the answers, but I am, I'm, I'm done doing whatever I've been trying to do. And if you've been following Jesus, this morning, I'm going to ask you to live in boldness. I'm going to ask you today, this week, share your story. Don't share someone else's story. Share your story. Share your story, what God has done in and through you. Show him how you've received joy. It's tell, your, tell your story, how God's helped you through something. Acts 4, 19 through 20, they wrapped up their time and they said this. They've, they've healed this dude. They've come in, they've given testimony, they've been grilled, and they say this. They said, but Peter and John replied, do you think that God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Friends, this week, let's be bold. Let's look up to Jesus and out at the world that desperately needs Jesus and the far superior life that is given through him. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to work in our lives right now, in our hearts right now. We welcome you. God, I pray um, that any hearts or lives that have just been on empty. Or maybe maybe hearts, God, that have just been resistant to you. Or we're just tapped out. We're stranded on the side of the road. We can't go on any further. 
Holy Spirit, I just ask that you fill this place and you fill those hearts that desperately need your presence, your grace, and your refreshment. God, I pray for us that have been following Jesus that we would not, we cannot stay, we cannot not talk about this. That we would go and start to share our stories like I've heard. We heard countless times of our friends here that just a couple weeks ago went to breakfast before church, saw someone, were convicted, started talking to them, shared their story, and then invited them to church. He comes to church and gets baptized. Believes in you for the first time, and no one had ever told him that good news before. God, help us to be faithful like those people with our stories. Work in our hearts. Show us where we need to. Show me where I need to be faithful. I'm going to end this prayer. The last passage of Acts 4 says this and says, they were all together reading and praying again. And they said, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand of healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and then they preached the word of God with boldness. God, I pray that for us. I pray that for West Bridgewater. I pray that for Bridgewater East, Bridgewater Taunton, Brockton, Easton, and everywhere in between. That your word be preached with boldness. Work in our hearts that we receive refreshment today. In Jesus' name, amen.